If you want to continue in your Bibles, we'll be in Jude, obviously, and Romans 8 in a little bit. But to kind of summarize where we have come in the first uh, part of Jude, Jude obviously quite short, just uh, one chapter, a short letter, but packed with a lot of good Good things about uh, how important it is to follow Christ. Um, in in the first verses there up through verse 13, he really does two two things. He, he first uh, indicates that there's a true faith, which is very helpful for us today because that obviously tells us that we can count on this, that it's once for all delivered to God's people that so we can know what's true and what's false. Uh, you don't have to be relativistic and think whatever I think is true. There's there's an objective truth we can look at. And it was revealed by God through his first century representatives, the apostles and their associates. And that's something that is a very, that verse three is a very good one to remember, you know, the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, you know. And remember, saint there is just people of God. Um, so it's both necessary and sufficient. We have to have it. You're not going to know what you need to know about God, His Son, who you are, and what you need, and what He's done without that word passed down and, and preserved. And it's also sufficient. You don't need to add to it for the main things. Uh, we don't know. Uh, every other religion, every Christian cult adds to it. Here's our books that are just as important or more important than this book. And I think that's what Jude is trying to guard against. So it's also su sufficient to show us what is true doctrine and what is false. And we get this in 2 Timothy 3.16. It is kind of interesting how many good 3.16s there are. You know, there's the obviously John 3.16, which summarizes the gospel. Um, 1 John 3.16 tells us what love is. It starts out, this is how we know what love is. <laughs> it's a pretty good start. Jesus gave his life for us, and we should give our lives for each other, you know. And, then, and here is 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. You know, that's the, we talk about the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll end the sermon talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, breathed out by God. Um, it's really, uh, we call it inspired, right? You know, it's almost more expired, not like milk, but it's, it comes out from God. It, it's, it's, uh, and it's profitable for teaching, which, you know, talked about. That's what Torah means. Reproof, meaning there's something true here. You can tell the difference between true and false. Correction and training. So it's, it's there for us to know and help us. So that's the first thing. The other one is those who teach against this doctrine of faith will be punished. This is a book of really punishment. <laughs> it's kind of a big warning. And he gives six examples from the Old Testament, and we've hit those the last two weeks. The Exodus, those in Israelites who did not uh, want to follow God and, uh, how would we say, got their comeuppance, I guess. Uh, and then the angels, who, the fallen angels who decided to rebel against God. And Sodom and Gomorrah is talked about uh, as, a, as an example of God's punishment. And it talks about these people going to the way of Cain, you know, being self-centered and not trying to honor God, the way of Balaam trying to do things for God for money, and, and Korah's rebellion is about, in numbers, about uh, essentially saying that God's word and his representatives are not to be followed. So they're going to be punished eternally, 
um, which is a really long time if you didn't know that, um, along with those who follow their teachings. That's probably more a warning for the people who are listening than the people who are actually doing the teaching here. And what were the teachings about? We hit that a lot about the true Jesus, um, his teachings and identity. We don't get a lot of teaching about Jesus in Jude. He assumes you have the rest. You have the Gospels. You have the letters of Paul. You have the letters of John and Peter. You have the easily discernible and interpreted book of Revelation, right? I mean, everybody knows what that one means, but you've got everything you need. And so that's the other thing he hits. So then now we've set up our six verses for today, which again is going to be stuff that the audience that heard this must have understood this, and we have to do a little work to help ourselves understand. It was also about these, these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have. They have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There should have been a word that kind of jumped out to you there. Then there are four times ungodly. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So he points out these ungodly teachers that will come to pervert God's Word, and God's going to punish them for this. It's, but he does it in an interesting way. He tells us that this was predicted. You know, that's kind of a if you think about, if you go into the prophets, you know, you kind of start, you actually the first prophet may be Samuel, but when you get to the main prophets, Elijah and Elisha, which is in First and Second Kings, but really the prophetic books, we've got all those, you know, kind of starting with Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, on the, on the road. What did prophets come to do? Well, they came, we think when, when we think about prophecy today, we always think about future telling, right? If I say I'm no prophet, uh, but I think, well, this, what can I, uh, the Bears will probably lose today. I'm no prophet, but I think mean, it's a prediction of the future. Um, but that's not really the main thing that the prophets came to do. Um, really, the quintessential Old Testament ending prophet, the one who transitioned us out of the prophetic word into the new covenant, is John the Baptist. And we can sum up what the prophets mainly talk about in one word, and he starts with it almost every time. Repent. Repent. It's more of the prophets come to warn much more than they do come to predict. It's not like they come and, and tell you things that are just kind of frivolous, you know. It's usually those two go together. And the only time you usually get a future prediction is because this is going to happen to you if you don't repent. The book of Jeremiah is a perfect example of that. In fact, by the time Jeremiah really gets into his teachings, he's essentially telling him, just give up. You are going to lose. 
the punishment's coming. Just make it as easy as you can. You're going to go into exile. It's over. There were prophets before him that said, turn around, come, come back. That's what repent means. So when we look at these predictions, prophecy has more to do with warning than it does predicting. But again, here we have it in this book of Enoch, that the Lord's going to bring judgment on those who both act in sinful ways and teach others to do the same. So these, as, as I said, in, that Enoch prophesied about it in context is these first century false teachers that Jude is warning in his, uh, to his original recipients of this. But once we know that, then we can apply it, right? Does this help us? Or are we, are we done with that? The false teachers are no longer a problem. You know, and it's always kind of circular. It's like when you're teaching, you bet, you know, I always try to step back and say, is there anything in here false? And how would I know? <laughs> how would I know when it's false? Well, go back to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So this is from the book of Enoch. We've, we've asked the kids, you guys probably know it. You keep beating it to death. Eventually people memorize this stuff, right? 39, 27, 66, right? We all know that. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New, that equals 66. And which testament is the book of Enoch in? Neither. <laughs> so what the heck <laughs> is, is Paul quoting this for? Um, the book of Enoch is an interesting book. I have read it. You can read it. You can buy it. Um, uh, I was going to say online. I assume you can actually buy it in a bookstore too. I don't know. But um, they do have those, I think, still. Uh, but it's, it's very much like the last half of Daniel and the book of Revelation chapter 4 on. It's, it's just really apocalyptic. It's a very fun read. It's a little goofy way it's written. Well, goofy is kind of a weird word. Uh, different. But a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. We found this, these whole copies in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's why we have this preserved so well. Uh, and so he's quoting from that. It's a first, second century B.C. book. So Enoch, being the seventh from Adam, probably didn't write it, even though it's from his perspective. You remember, Enoch's kind of a weird character in there, too. Remember how Enoch died? I just remember reading that as a kid. It's like, Enoch did not die, but God, and then my translation said, took him. You know, it's like, took him. It's like, you know. That's kind of cool. There's probably days we'd like that, right? It's like, no, oh, just, just take me. You know, Elijah said that at one time. It's like, just get me out of here. You know, but that's not our choice. Um, and, and usually people get taken in a different way. You, you die, you know, but this was a little different. So Enoch's kind of interesting there. So um, you have that. So this is either from the book of Enoch, but it's not quite a direct quotation or it's from oral tradition of some sort, something that these people knew. And... You know, we had earlier this Michael the Archangel reference from the Assumption of Moses. So the truth of this prophecy doesn't make all the book of Enoch or oral tradition true. It just means this part's true. That's all you had to, you know, because people have said, well, it's quoted, so it must be all correct. Well, that part's right. I mean, you could have a, a deposition from a witness, and part of it is true. So you, you use it, but maybe another part of it isn't, so you don't. It doesn't make the truth of that one part less true just because the rest of it's not. So I hope that it just kind of settles that. But it's, a, it's an interesting way. But what's the whole idea? 
there's going to be these angels that come. What are they doing? It's kind of cool. You read it, it's like, oh, this is cool. I like all these angels. Ten thousands of his holy ones. And it's, it's plural. So it's not just ten thousand. It's ten thousands upon ten thousands. It's like, you know, do your, you keep getting your zeros, you know. Lots of angels. Well, this is cool. What are they going to do? To execute judgment. <laughs> oh, I thought this was going to be a fun angel thing. Uh, and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness. And it keeps going on to the ungodly. Now, we have this in this angel thing in some texts. These are harsh words that they have spoken is the way Jude put it. That's what they're going to be uh, judged for against Jesus. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his hand. You think Moses saw that? I wonder what that looked like. It would be kind of cool. Or would it? It would be too bright. I don't know. But you see that same type of it's exact same wording. And then in Daniel 7, now in Daniel 7 later we get this son of man, the son of man coming to the ancient of days and he gets power and, and that's what Jesus kind of quotes at his trial and it really ticks off the leadership. But um, and right before that, he's having this vision, Daniel, and he says, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him, the, the throne of God. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and books were opened. Ooh, jump to Revelation 20 now and get a couple books. That's it's a whole other discussion. But, but, you know, there's a lot of these angels, but we think, what are they for? They're, the word angel means messenger. Uh, and Malachi in Hebrew. But they're doing something. They're judging people. You even get that. I don't have it up there, but in the parable uh, of the weeds, who comes in and separates the weeds from the wheat eventually at the end of the age? It's the angels. You know, it's, it's inter they've got that job. Well, think about the last plague. What happened in Egypt in that last plague? There was an, a what of death? An angel of death. Who sent that? Yeah. Yeah. This will end up being a fun sermon, but right now, <laughs> it kind of con convicts us. It's like, wow. Again, there is, it is one way to discuss the gospel with someone. I don't know if it's the way I would start, uh, but Jesus had no trouble saying it. We shouldn't either. There, are, there is an end punishment for those who don't believe, and, and that makes the gospel all that more important, right? There's the positive thing, and we'll talk about that at the end, but this is a book of punishment. You know, it's a book saying you're going to get punished if you do not follow this. And really, I don't think if you asked Jude, well, I don't like that, if you said that, what would Jude say? Well, whether you like it or not is really not the point. It's whether it's true. That's really what it comes down to. And Mark 8, for whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus said, and of my words in their adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know what he's coming for the second time? Judgment. What did he come for the first time? Grace. That's why we're not known as judgment church. 
We could be judgment e free church. <laughs> nope. We're gracey free church because that's what the gospel's about. It's not called the gospel of judgment, it's called the gospel of grace. There's a good reason for that. Um, and he uses this word ungodly. Um, uh, ungodly here is against God and against Jesus Christ and his teachings. There's a lot of ungodly things out there. I don't know if you looked at the calendar today. It's September what? Does that mean anything to anybody? There's a lot of some youngsters here that weren't around in 2001. Which, man, I can't, it's almost hard to fathom that that's 21 years ago. That's, I mean, you know, you can talk about this at lunch or afterwards or think about it now. I know where I was when that happened. It's kind of, the, for, for the older generation, you know, my parents, it was November 22nd, 1963. And there I see the... People who are a year or two older than me going like this. That was when John F. K. got shot. Everybody knew where they were when you heard that. I was on a golf course in Hamilton, Illinois, with a, uh, one of the police officers from the Keokuk Police Force, golfing. Better put that in there. <laughs> First guy I baptized in Keokuk. It was kind of cool. He was, uh, but but you, you remember because he got a. You know, you Phil's got one of those. I can't do it exactly, but you know, you got that warning. You know, because cell phones were, we had them, but I don't even know if we were flip phones yet. You do this with the flip phone. You know, they were bricks. You know, and so, and service was horrible. Um, so he got he the fact that I was with him getting ready to tee off on the tenth hole that he, we found out fairly quickly. And so we know that, that they're ungodly things. And when we look at that, I guess to kind of put a wrap, this is not talking about just the general ungodly. This is talking about people in the church that are teaching ungodly things against Christ. That's what Jude's warning against here and people believing that. But kind of put a wrapper before we go to these three characteristics that he puts in here. If nothing else, when that happened on 9-11, when those planes did that, it did make us look at life a little differently, didn't it? Maybe a lot differently. That in this world we will have trouble and that life is risky and we don't know if tomorrow is promised. And that's always something to remember. But where do you go when bad things happen? Where do you lean on? Where is your rock? Well, hopefully it's on Jesus. It's like they can take away your life. They can take away your rights. They can take away all things and there's nothing wrong with us trying to stop that. In fact, I think we're told to. But, just like these folks are going to be eternally judged, if you believe you have eternal life, they can't take that away from you. You know, Jesus said at best, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can take body and soul and throw it into hell. It's kind of Jude in a nutshell, isn't it? Now, does he warn you because he doesn't like you? No, he warns you because he loves you. It really comes down, is it true? <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And something like 9-11 does make us think that, doesn't it? There are some ungodly things. If you're thinking the world was in a good place, that one kind of rocked us a lot. And what, we, what do we do? Tragedy's going to come, but what do we do with it? 
Does it make you bitter or better, I guess, as they say. So back to our text, he gives three characteristics of this, that they're grumblers and malcontents. Now, this doesn't say every time you grumble that you're a false teacher and going to hell. But maybe you are. No, I'm just kidding. The, the, you know, we have to be careful with this. It's back to the Holy Spirit, you know. Do you feel guilty when you do this stuff? And somebody comes to you and says that you're, you see flaws in others, but you're not seeing them in themselves, which is what these guys are doing. Do you say, you know, I won't be that way? Or do you like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Where's that wind blowing? You know, so that's, but these, they're, they're, their character is like this. They're prideful. They follow their own evil desires. They're self-centered regardless of who is hurt. They're, they're, they're completely dividing the people in the church and they don't care. Um, they're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism. You know, most likely flowery speech to give people what they want to hear. You know, we can do that. You know, we could be, instead of teaching each person to trust in Jesus, which we can say our main goal is to teaching, uh, help, helping each person feel good when they leave. Now, I hope you feel good when you leave. But that's not, I don't know what God wants to do in your life. <laughs> Maybe you need to feel challenged. I don't know. But I think he, I hope you feel loved by him. But we see this in 2 Timothy, again, another prediction. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's a problem. You know, I, I could, I suppose, tell you, you know, if you just have faith, everything will be fine. You'll go home and your bank account will be quadruple or however many upal you want. That every problem you have today will go away if you just believe. And then you turn around and say, what's the main symbol of our faith? What do you wear around your neck if you have one? Or have, what do we have a really big one right here if you can't see it, but it's right here outside. Does that look like the world is okay? <laughs> you know, it's, it's the idea that they killed our leader and we might have some problems here. So, but again, what do you want? Do you want to hear the truth or the wander off into myths? You know, what their itching ears want to hear. It's a metaphor for, hey, this, this feels good. You know, I have a dog and you just get right behind there and, and it's just, oh. you know, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's, the, that's the, the picture I get with this. It's like you want to come in here and I can just kind of get behind your ear and go, does that feel good? Now, it doesn't mean I want you to feel bad. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> I mean, but again, sometimes we have to do that, you know. Again, back to the prophets. What's their first word? Repent. You know, you think they'd start with God loves you, but they don't. I didn't write this stuff. They, they do get to that. <laughs> but I don't think we can even understand God's love until we realize that we're not worthy and something needs to change. So, all of this was to gain advantage for them, to, to deceive and manipulate people. And, and then the second concept he goes in after talking about Enoch and probably alluding to the Old Testament, he says he uses the prediction of the apostles talking. We just read one in 2 Timothy 4. Although specific predictions of the future are rare in the New Testament, 
There's a few, uh, but we don't get specifics as to dating. And, and, but the warnings against false teachers and scrupulous leaders are all over the place. We get this in Acts 20, where Paul is in Ephesus, and probably the last time he sees these guys, and he, he tells the leaders of the Ephesian church, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I have not thought of that till now, but I wonder if Jude was writing to a similar audience. <laughs> you know, the same type of thing. Be careful of this. It happens. And there's two different ways th that somebody can do this. Somebody can do this because they really know they're fleecing the flock, and somebody can just believe falsehood so well, so much, that they teach it, even though it's wrong. I mean, somebody might come to your door that's not Christian, that has a, a belief in a certain set of theological principles, and they may really believe it. They might not just be trying to get your money. But just because they really believe it doesn't make it true. You know, Jesus can't be the second person of the Trinity, Yahweh Himself, come incarnate with all that power, the creator of all the universe, the eternal being from past and future, and also be the Michael the Archangel. One of those is wrong. Maybe both of them are wrong. I don't think the first one is. If that's what the faith once for all delivered to the saints says. But just logically, you, you know, just because you believe something sincerely doesn't make it true. You just have to be careful with that. Reality bites you in the bottom sometimes, doesn't it? And Jesus himself, beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous. Well, that's not a, it's a prediction, obviously, that's going to happen, right? And then you, you go into you know, 2 Timothy 3 and 4 to some extent, and 2 Peter 2 and 3, that's the whole chapters. It's all about false teaching and be careful and be ready. Well, why warn somebody if it's not going to happen? What's the remedy for this then? And Jude alludes to it here, but it's upholding the truth and godly living. We've got ungodliness. Second Timothy 3, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't like that verse. I sincerely don't like it. I just have to decide whether it's true or not. I don't like that gravity seems to have more pull on me than it did 20 years ago. Um, but is it true? And do I act accordingly? <laughs> so all who desire to live a godly life, people are going to make fun of you. Got, we got high school kids in here, you got younger, you got adults. I mean, you know, they're, they're going to probably say you're, you're, you're whatever word you want to use. I don't know what they use these days, but pejorative terms, you know, because you're not, that's not popular. But while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, and that's a singular here because it's, the book is Second Timothy, so you want to guess who it was written to? This dude named Timothy. But I think, again, this applies to us because all who desire to live a godly life in Christ. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from who you learned it. Just continue, which, which is going to change your actions. Who are you trying to please, ultimately? Are you trying to please God or someone else? And it's really kind of cool when you have relationships, and hopefully the church is that way, where you have peer relationships where when you please the peer, you please God. It's really cool in marriages, too, if you can get there. It works really well at those relationships. The most important relationships you have are also pleasing God as you please each other. And then kind of back to Second Peter, it sounds a lot like Jude. It, they almost wonder if they were in the same room writing this together. He warns his readers of false prophets and reminding them of God's judgment on such people and urges them to stand firm in their faith. Same thing. There's no reason to tell somebody to stand firm in your faith and persevere if there's nothing you have to persevere through. So what should we do? Remember the words of the apostles and be on guard. <laughs> you know, remember Ephesians 6, you know, the armor of God. Notice it's not the marshmallows of God. You know, it's, it's not just this flower. What do I need to, to, to get through life as a true believer? Well, you just need marshmallows. Because there's really nothing coming. No, he says you need a helmet, you need a sword, you need armor. Well, what do you need armor for? Well, the flaming arrows of the evil one. I mean, it's a metaphor, obviously. But there isn't any reason that the word would warn us if there wasn't anything coming in our lives that we need to be on guard from. So these leaders here in Jude were not Christians. They're ungodly sinners. And here's the key, and it was why I did the children's sermon that I did. They taught perverted heresy contrary to biblical teaching. They lived lifestyles that did not honor Christ as Lord and ultimately caused all this vision. But why? They do not have God's Spirit in them. That is a bad thing. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say it to you, unless one is born again, he rephrases that two verses later, born of the Spirit. He cannot see the kingdom of God. These people don't have the Spirit. So they don't really know the new, they don't, not only are they not in his kingdom, they don't even know the king. But the helper, Jesus says in the upper room discourse, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. It's the, this is to the disciples that we're going to get this right and we can count on these books, including Jude, that come to us. So Paul tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And when you think about that, I I don't know how many people you've had an opportunity to tell the gospel to. Um, God gives us that opportunity once in a while. As a actuary, I think I'm probably batting around 40. That's .040. So around 4% on people giving a hoot. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like one in twenty really seems to then the other nineteen look at you like what's wrong with you. So it, and and I'm, some people bat a lot better. I think God works with them better than He does me. Doesn't mean you quit. I don't mean that. But I think the idea they're folly to these people. You know, you, you when somebody you talk to about Christ, 
kind of looks at you and seems like they're interested. You know something's already going on there, right? I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do a good job. I mean, I think we should be able to tell the gospel well. And I do that. I mean, I'm like, man, I could have done this. I could have said this. My biggest problem is sometimes I answer questions people don't have. They get off the plane knowing the book of Enoch and don't know who Jesus is from Adam. You know, you got to be careful. Because you think, well, this person's a whatever. And, well, they must be this way. It's like, well, I don't, and just let them ask questions. You know, try to do that. And I don't think you need to get the foot of the cross in every conversation with somebody. That is annoying. Jesus didn't do that. Maybe just find out what they do. I don't know. Ask them if they like the cookie. Start a conversation. See where it goes. But again, we know that the Spirit has to change somebody's heart. And then He uses us. And what a privilege. He uses us to get into those conversations and maybe they'll ask you some questions. And It's tough on a plane because you only get about a couple hours, you know, but sometimes it's tougher with neighbors because you get too many hours and the warts come out. But uh, I think sometimes we have to remember that, again, we're in this together with, with, with the Spirit, you know. So, I'm just going to read quickly here toward the end here, Romans 8, because it helps us sum this up. So, it says, so then, kind of summing up the gospel and the lack of condemnation we have because of grace. Believers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's a really good verse. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God and of children and heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So, the Spirit gives believers an inward certainty that the relationship with God does not now depend on their performance, but on parental love. That's what this is saying. Kind of back to the children's sermon. What would the Spirit convict you of? Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a good song. John Calvin in the Institutes of Christian Religion, Systematic Theology. You may know a lot about God, but you don't truly know God until the knowledge of what He has done for you in Jesus Christ has changed the fundamental structures of your heart. Every time you pray, think about the first word you use if you use Father. That is a privilege. You don't have to pray, judge. That's kind of cool, isn't it? That's the difference. These people did not have the Spirit. They did not know God as Father. This, and this change is going to show itself in their desired behavior. So the lack of the Spirit is the core problem here with these false teachers. It's shown in their teaching and their behavior. But as for you, well, what do we do? Well, 2 Timothy. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We have the Spirit that points us to Jesus who tells us that we can call God Father. That's cool. These guys couldn't, and that's why they were false teachers. Don't look at God 
as a judge of your life. Look at God as a father who sent his son to die for you so you could be part of the family. And you can cry, Abba, Father, let us pray. Father, we pray to you in humility, knowing that that word is not something that we deserve to say to you, that you are sovereign, you are perfect, you are holy, and if we were in your presence, we wouldn't be able to handle it because we are not glory like you are. But thank you for that privilege of being able to call you Father. Maybe remember that all the punishments of these old Testament and New Testament texts that are talked about are to warn us that without you as our Father, that you will be our judge. May we thank you for that by your grace. Amen.